Welcome to Decision Insights, a podcast produced for the University of Southern Queensland's Master of Business Administration. I'm Dr. Daniel Maddock, a Digital Pedagogy and Media Specialist and part of the MBA Design Team. In this podcast, we talk to leaders from a variety of industries about how they make decisions and why decision-making is fundamental to business performance and success. These interviews were recorded via the internet, so please keep this in mind as you listen to this episode. Decisions are never made in a vacuum, so in this episode, we're going to look at the internal and external factors influencing decision-making with a focus on how they impact our desire for optimal decision-making. This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Giyabul and Yarrawa peoples in a place called Toowoomba. As we all know, financial decisions can be some of the scariest decisions of our lives. But Chris Black makes them every day. After eight years in the financial services industry, Chris founded Fortress Financial Solutions, a boutique financial planning practice that is focused on building and protecting client wealth. Chris is a current board member with the Toowoomba Chamber of Commerce and St. Saviour's School. He is a graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors, has been noted as one of the most influential financial advisors in Australia by the Financial Standard, has lived and worked in the UK, is an alumni of USQ having completed a business and commerce double degree, and, Chris tells us most proudly, a husband and father to three boys. Chris Black, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Daniel. Appreciate it, mate. Chris, can you tell me a little bit about the current role you have with uh, Fortress uh, Financial Solutions and, and, and the organisation itself? Yeah, sure. Um, so we started in 2013, or I started in 2013 uh, at a bit of a crossroads for uh, in my career with what we wanted to do. I had the, the sole focus of thinking that we could do it better um, and focus on quality outcomes, sort of education, empowerment, uh, and just believe sort of the legacy of financial planning wasn't done right. So uh, we're very specific with what we do. We're very different. Uh, we partner with clients um, and we ultimately exist so uh, so our clients succeed. So we have a fairly firm remit, I suppose, on that. Uh, my role here as an advisor is to drive that, uh, look after staff and uh, ultimately be the leader and, and make sure everyone's happy and uh, enjoys life. Was your background something that got you to that position where you are now offering, offering a kind of different look at the service of financial services? My background is actually quite varied and on paper, I'm probably a finance guy, a uh, typical you know, finance guy wearing glasses and a suit. Um, however, probably my experiences are, are a fair bit broader than that. Actually starting obviously as a, an ex-USQ student, I've got a marketing degree and an HR degree as well as the finance degree. So that really rounded out my skill set. And I think now looking back, that's probably the best thing that I could have done is, is sort of round things out. Um, working around the world, different sort of cities in very different varied roles and starting quite young has, uh, has probably influenced me quite a lot, to be honest. Yeah. Do you think that mix of skills, as you were saying, marketing, HR, um, finance, and, and also the experience of working in different places has helped uh, you enormously with your business now? Absolutely. It's, yeah, it, it's helped me 
grow exponentially. Um, it's helped me learn quite a lot. It's made me listen because when you're in different environments around different people, you, you're not pigeonholed. So uh, I think that's the best thing that people can do is, is go out and grow and put themselves in uncomfortable environments. Um, and I think when you reflect back, that's where the period for personal growth happens. Chris, in these podcasts, we talk about a significant decision from your business life. What have you brought to share with us today? Well, mate, it's um, it's actually quite a recent one. And um, to give you a, a bit of a context, uh, back in back in 2018, uh, obviously financial services was put through the ringer through the the Royal Commission into banking and and our industry more broadly. There was a lot of hype, a lot of high profile companies were were brought to their knees. Um, and there was a lot of bad behaviour that came out of it. As a result, there was broad brush legislation in that, um, you know, some of it was very nonsensical um, and just added red tape and compliance and, and literally doubled the cost of, you know, running our business because of the red tape involved in some ways. So we were really at a crossroad, I suppose, you know, back in 2018 as to what we were going to do moving forward. Uh, we're a, a small business that, um, you know, excels, um, you know, on, on good outcomes, but also is not immune to, you know, rules imposed to us by the regulator. So it was quite a, a tumultuous period, a lot of uncertainty, a lot of drama, I suppose, and it really affected the, the mental health, I suppose, of a lot of advisors around the industry. Um, and as a result, a lot of, you know, the big players and the big banks got out of the industry more broadly. Uh, so there was significant change um, at every level within the, the practice. Us being a small business, uh, we were fairly fairly, uh, well, not immune to it, but we ran a, a good transparent businesses. We were ethical and, and a lot of the changes, including uh, education, didn't really affect us. So we were in really good shape, you know, from, from that side of it, but still the anxiety and uncertainty was was playing more broadly on the industry, which, which was me as well. We had a, a meeting or a, a business plan around, well, what do we do moving forward? We can keep going in our current shape and grow organically and, and you know, and, and profitably and do our thing. Or we, uh, we actually made the decision to, um, to acquire another business, to essentially double down on what we were doing um, since that we thought we were doing it better than most. Mm, that's a big decision to make in a, in a time of, well, crisis really that the financial services sector was going through uh, then and, and quite a bad look, as you say, across the whole sector um, uh, for for you know end, end users, people who who used financial services, um, the public looking at the financial sector, it you know looked as you say overwhelmingly bad because of the royal commission and the media that was coming out, and and in that time you're choosing that as a trigger to expand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and again, I think we'll, we'll we'll sort of get into how. Uh, that sort of decision or the thinking came around. But uh, my thinking was, well, I'm in my early 30s. Um, we're in good shape. If anyone can do what I can do it. And when you've got the opportunity to grow, you know, that the best opportunities are in some of the darkest times. Um, so, you know, it's like buying shares. You want to buy them when everything's cheap and sell them when they're high. You know, you can overcome the fear and then look through all of that uh, and look at it rationally it's actually a great time to to back yourself and and keep building that was our that was that was the thinking uh, that's what we were doing we had um, you know the loan pre-approved and ready to go and 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 personally it was a it was a big call and a big 
you know, big bet, I suppose, in, in my personal position um, with what we were doing, even though things at the time were, were reasonably strong. So, you know, borrowing a lot of money and, and really leveraging up at a time when people were fearful was going against what everyone else was doing. There, there, there seems to me to be two things going on there. There's there's one, the, the general um, crisis that was occurring across the sector um, and the scrutiny um, from the Royal Commission. But then there's your own business you know, your own business health, the evidence that you have about your business, how it's doing. Are those two things coming into play then in making that decision to, as you say, go against what everybody else is doing, but also looking at, can I succeed in going against what everybody else is doing? Is my business strong and healthy? Yeah, absolutely. I, I'll give you the twist in the tail before we before I answer that question. Just before we were sort of you know, formalised um, that transaction, so to speak, in what we were doing moving forward. Um, I literally got a phone call from a, um, basically a high up member of an American company um, who um, basically said, we like what we're doing. We can sort of see what you're doing. We want a footprint in Toowoomba. Um, would you be interested in having a chat? Wow. So this is an American Fortune 500 company, you know, little old me sitting in Toowoomba, um, you know, my sort of sort of shocked my world a little bit with, with what I thought we were doing and how we were going to do it. Chance of a lifetime, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. And I thought, oh, well, I may as well have, have a free dinner here. Um, let's, let's see what they say. And, um, you know, as a result, uh, another opportunity was put on the table, which completely was in conflict with, with my business plan. But certainly one that I wanted to explore, given that it was an opportunity that, um, you know, certainly you wouldn't dream of. So, yeah, I had a, I had a, a pretty solid decision to make, um, you know, from, from there. And coming back to answer your question, Daniel, um, how did I do it? How did, how did I rationalise or make the decision? I think then this has been a really good exercise because it sort of forced me to go back and now 18 months in from that decision, um, you know, look to see how I did, I suppose, and and how my brain worked. And my background, my financial skills, um, you know, I'm a very rational person and, and how I tend to make decisions is based on data and evidence and uh, justification. And so my brain went straight to the Excel spreadsheet. You know, what What does this look like? Um, you know, is this, you know, bag of US dollars going to be worthwhile giving up, you know, the, the control of the business, but more so is it the right financial decision? So I looked at it every single way, um, you know, and analysed it from a personal business perspective. What does this mean? Uh, long-term values, opportunities, the risks in the legislation, uh, industry players, you know, demographics of our competitors. Uh, I literally analysed the hell out of it, you know, and then, so that was quite the rational, rational sort of, you know, filter, I suppose, to put on it. And then again, coming back to our core purpose, what do we do? Well, we really want to succeed, so we make our clients successful. Um, but to do that, we've got to have really good staff as well. So again, put the filter over, how does this kind of affect our staff, their development, you know, and ultimately making sure that we're looking after, you know, everyone within the organisation as well, which is which is really important. So yeah, it was it was quite a, an exercise and, and probably one done a little bit quicker than maybe what I would normally want to do it, given that I sort of had these two conflicting options on the table. So there was a little bit of time pressure thrown in there, which, as you know, makes decisions a little bit uh, scarier. Is there a bit of a strategic approach to making that decision then when you're saying you're analysing all of this data and the potential outcomes? You're also looking to a long-term 
um, situation. You're not just thinking about next year there's going to be more money if I go with this American company, but the long-term effect of that in terms of legislation, you know, income, of course, um, growth of your business, the personnel, the happiness of people there. Yeah, mate, it was it was it was literally short, medium forecast out till I die. Again, being a financial planner, that's how our brains work. Uh, we're very nerdy like that. But, um, you know, it's it was a, a good exercise, I suppose, to justify what we were doing, why we were doing it. Um, and again, it, it, um, it scratched my rational itch of making sure this decision made sense uh, from, from that side of it. In, in saying that as well, you know, what, what I probably didn't um, put enough weight on or I probably didn't give enough value to was the emotional side and and how fortress made me i suppose feel um and and what it meant to not be the director not be the owner not be sort of in control of all those decisions and how that affected me more broadly and i think again you know transparently and looking back in hindsight it's wonderful that really wasn't in my analysis it wasn't in my um it wasn't in my my filters or part of the decision making tree. It was everybody else except me. Uh, it was my family, my kids, and you know the long term position of the business and staff. But I probably don't think I, I sort of gave enough weight to how it made me feel. That's really interesting, Chris, because you you say uh, you know you've got a spreadsheet there where you analyse the hell out of all the data that you potentially have access to to make this decision in the in the short term, in the medium term. But one thing that's not on that spreadsheet is how it makes you feel to run a business, your identity, your happiness in having Fortress as your own business, as opposed to, you know, working for another company. It's not just all about the bulk income that you can make. Yeah, correct. It's correct. It, it, it was growing something. It was making a difference. It was um, being a part of the, the local business community. All of those things I probably didn't give weight to as much as maybe what I thought. And, you know, I'm reading a, I'm reading a really great book at the moment, actually, or rereading it, Simon Sinek, The Power of Why, or The Power of Why, The um, Start With Why is what it's called. And he's a, he's a American sort of leadership expert on making decisions that are core to your purpose and core to your why. Um, and he explains it really, really well and a lot better than what I could, that there's two main parts of your brain that sort of affect decision making. Uh, and one is your neocortex, which is the rational analysis, numbers, justification side, you know, and obviously that's my sort of strength to a degree. But the other one is the, the limbic brain and the limbic brain is what we talk about, your gut, your emotions, your intuition, um, it's your feelings. And that sort of develops things like, you know, trust and loyalty. But the problem with your, your gut feelings or your, your limbic brain, it doesn't really have a language. So you sort of see a lot of people and they've made a decision. You say, why did you make that decision? And they said, well, it just felt right. And that's your gut talking. That's your limbic brain. Uh, and that's sort of your, your some of your experiences and, and history and your, your attitude towards things. Um, yeah, so it's really interesting to sort of reflect on that and say, well, maybe I used my rational analysis brain more than my gut when making the decision uh, back at the day. So, um, yeah, it's interesting. And you're able to reflect on yourself now and, and, and um, that, that feeling you have about running your own business. But what at the time did your intuition tell you about that decision? My intuition told me that the people here that I was dealing with locally were really good and 
I had a lot of respect and time for those people and I put a lot of weight in, in that being right. And that certainly hasn't sort of let me down, so to speak, from from that side of it. My gut said this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity um, and I'd be stupid to pass it up because I'm just a little old bloke from Toowoomba who's now getting suited by this, you know, billion-dollar company in America. So my gut said to, uh, yeah, to, to sort of follow that and make the most of it because, you know, opportunities like this don't come around. 18 months on from this decision, what have you seen are the impacts Impacts. Uh, so business-wise, quite a lot of change. Um, and obviously, that was always going to happen. And, you know, I suppose reflecting back, um, did I sell the company or not? I ended up, yeah, taking taking the um, the opportunity and, um, and being part of a, an American business. So, um, you know, reflecting back, how has that changed things? Uh, as I sort of said, probably the first six months or so, I was a little bit... Um, um, I was getting used to being part of one of 35,000 staff instead of a, a big fish in a small pond. So again, personally, probably from that side of it, didn't didn't value that quite enough. Um, however, the, the decision that I made and the opportunities that this is sort of opening up has been phenomenal. You know, it, it makes you think at a bigger scale. We were fortunate enough or unfortunate enough to be in a conference over in the States in March last year when sort of just before COVID was was really hitting off, and um, you know, just just sort of seeing how how a big company and a big family company, um, no doubt, which again was a big part of the decision, um, has grown from from nothing to thirty five thousand staff, you know, and the scope and scale and resources that they've got at their fingertips, you know, if we think we were going to change, you know, the world, then they have. So, yeah, it's it's certainly been an eye opener. It's made me grow. It's made me uncomfortable, but again. Um, you know, looking back at it, it's been the right call. Was there a lot to learn and, and, and maybe that's still being learned about the, from, from having this merger? Oh, mate, there's always, there's always things to learn. And I think if you're not learning, you're not growing. And if you're, you're not growing, then you're not getting better. Um, so I think, again, you know, people listening to this doing their MBA, uh, absolutely hats off to you. For, uh, for investing in yourself because you are your biggest asset and the best investment that you can make is in yourself. So I think if you're, if you're not learning, you're very stale and that's something that I probably couldn't do. Yeah, it's, it's been an interesting ride, an interesting journey and I've probably plugged some of the, the entrepreneurial gaps or the business gaps, you know, with board positions maybe, you know, reflecting back to, to sort of keep that, those juices flowing, so to speak. But yeah, certainly, certainly been changes um, with how we operate and what we do. But fundamentally, we're still the same. Fundamentally, at the core, our, our Toowoomba office here is, is still exists to, to look after our clients and make them successful. So um, at the end of the day, you know, we're still in the same office. We're still doing the same thing. Uh, it's just a, a bigger beast above us. That sounds like an excellent outcome. Um, and, and a great story. Uh, thanks for sharing that with us, Chris. That's right, mate. We're going to move on now to a section of the podcast where we deal specifically with the, the learning that's happening this week in the MBA program at USQ. And what we're talking about this week is the idea of internal uh, versus external uh, influences um, when you're making decisions. We call the internal uh, influences firm characteristics, the characteristics of the firm, um, of the organisation, and the uh, external factors are sometimes called environmental influences as well. Can you can you sort of reflect on that? And, and, and you have really spoken about that a bit in your story, about that idea of, of having 
a perfect decision that can be made without any influences, and uh, but of course something that doesn't really exist. And the idea of having internal influences or firm characteristics, so the size of your firm and so forth, the personnel within it that could affect how you make a decision, and the external characteristics that that are affecting how you make a decision. The current, uh, the, the the at the time of the crisis with the financial services sector. Um, the Royal Commission and so forth. Yeah, and I think um, I think it's really important for for me when you you look at making decisions on an organisational level. I think before I answer the question, I think it's really important to be really clear on two main things. And and the first thing that all decisions should be based around is your core purpose as an organisation. Um, and if you have a very clear and concise core purpose, everyone lives and breathes that it makes decisions easier. And the other part of that is culture. Uh, how does the decision affect culture, both positive and negative? So I've probably used that pillar or grounding point for you know, a lot of the decisions that we've made in the business or my business career sort of so far. And again, for me, that helps me to make a good decision. Not necessarily the easy one, but a, a better decision. When we look at the firm, and, and again, I think if you make sure that your decisions are based on your core purpose, and again, using the example of us, we exist so our clients succeed. So one of the things that we did as an example from a decision-making perspective, just to sort of put it in practice, uh, we wanted to live this and, and in the industry, you know, we've got a lot of clients that we want to look after and, and make sure that they become advocates of our business. So what we did was I gave my credit card to all the staff, so for the business, and for, for two main reasons. One, I didn't want to be in charge of it. Two, it gave them ownership of what we were doing. What they were to use it for was anything that makes our clients advocates and they only had one rule, was spend it like that. It was their own. And as a result, what it did for them, it made everyone think and have a deeper connection to our clients. It wasn't me having the relationship, it was our staff. So the really detailed and thoughtful gifts, and it could be a you know, $20 bunch of flowers or a or a um, you know tickets to a show, a bottle of champagne when a you know a client gets divorced after a very long and messy one. Um, they were very thoughtful. It wasn't a BWS gift card, you know, given out on a birthday because sort of that's what's expected. And that was probably one of the best things that we did, not just to give our clients or sorry, give our staff a bit of ownership and leadership. It made them align with our purpose, uh, which was really, really cool. That sounds fantastic and a really good way to make your business run with uh, intent that, that all of the staff there are really keen to do the best thing because you're investing that in them. You're culturally, you're, you're saying to your staff, you're part of this. We're all in this together. I'm not going to take things away from you and give you less power, but I'm going to give you more power and more investment. And, and therefore, you're going to be closer to the client and closer to the business doing well. Correct. And that builds trust, which builds loyalty, which means, you know, they, they enjoy things more because they're more valued. So that, that's probably been one of the best things that we've sort of done, you know, which is extremely easy to do, to be honest. And certainly no one's abused it in any way, shape or fashion. It's, it's been great and people have loved it. And, and do you think you'd be able to make the same sort of decisions in a larger firm? Um, you've got another overlay there for sure, but that hasn't changed from a, from a theoretical perspective. How we've done it is a little bit different. 
And, you know, probably when we look back at the, at the COVID crisis, uh, when you're part of a big organisation, the first thing that uh, dries up is those discretional expenses. So from that side, that's been a bit of a challenge that that's sort of been tightened up a bit, even though at our level, we haven't been as affected as, you know, our American parents. But certainly that's, that's something that we want to keep that culture uh, with what we do here in, in our office and then you know, try and spread that as well as a, as a best practice idea. Um, so I think that's a, does that answer your question from a firm perspective? Oh, absolutely. I, I, I'm interested if there's a certain way that you structure your business on the ground in Toowoomba that, that helps you um, with those uh, decisions that um, you can be more nimble, perhaps more flexible I think it's being opportunistic, maybe. Uh, it's it's thinking very consciously about working on the business and, and why we exist and why we want to be different and, you know, looking at those finer points which, which add up to be really big rocks at some point. Um, I, I think a lot of business owners, and we obviously work with a lot of business clients, you know, and professionals, you know, they, they can be guilty of, you know, getting caught in the day-to-day grind of, you know, the problems that will always exist um, in business and they're not going to change. But I think where good businesses become really great businesses is that they are very diligent and consistent with making sure that they work on the business, how they improve their business planning, future of things, taking advantage of opportunities, solidifying relationships. They're all very conscious things that you've got to go out of your way to do. But I really think that makes the difference when, you know, we look at the success or failure of those businesses. And I use traders as an example, even when talking to clients, you could be the world's best plumber, absolutely the world's best plumber. But if you don't return phone calls and if you can't pay your bills because you haven't sent out invoices, you're going to exist. If you can be an average plumber that has great client experience, that runs a really good ship, that has a really good process and a really good client experience, you'll shoot the lights out because I don't think anyone does it really well. You know, and people don't marvel and sit back and think, geez, he's fixed my toilet really well. Geez, he turned up on time. He was clean. He tidied up after himself. It was um, an easy transaction and he got the job done. Mm, Great example. Can you tell me, did, did those internal influences change uh, remarkably when you um, merged with the American company? Uh, as in sort of the firm characteristics you mean? Yeah. Or, no, but probably because I was very, uh, well, it, it was it was altered, but our core hasn't changed because I was very, very firm in, you know, when discussing or negotiating when everything was getting done, that we wanted to keep our identity and keep existing for, for what we were doing. And, and they were really good and acknowledged that we're buying a good business here there's no reason to fundamentally change. Keep doing what you're doing and, and we'll bolt in some really cool stuff that you can take your, what you're doing to another level. And, and that really, I suppose, sold it on me uh, with what we were doing. But certainly maybe some of my experiences prior influenced that at, a, at an unconscious bias level. But um, yeah, it was, yeah, it's been interesting to reflect back. Can you tell me, reflecting back on, on that decision to join with the American company, what external factors helped you make that decision at the time or influenced your decision? External factors probably, uh, you know, I think whilst I'd puff my chest out and say I'm, I'm macho and brave and I was going to take on the world and win, uh, there was certainly an element of uncertainty and um, lack of ability to control 
how the industry was going to move. Uh, so there was that fear that sat behind, which sort of made, I suppose, the timing opportunistic at the height of uncertainty. So again, the legislation changes, uh, the environment that was operating, you know, banking, ability to access finance really dried up. So, you know, whilst I had the loan approved and ready to roll, would the bank change the terms and conditions and jack the interest rate up because I was pretty highly geared? You know, when I'm sitting, got my hat in my hand with three kids at home and a wife not working because she's on mat leave, you know, was that risk worthwhile taking on when, you know, the other way made sense as well? So, you know, I, I probably, you know, looking more broadly, I use the example when we when we talk culture with with directorships um, is you know the Australian cricket team with Sandpaper Gate. I don't know if you you're, you're a cricketer, Daniel, but I forced my boys to love cricket so we can watch it every <laughs> night on TV. So we've overrun the wife. But um, you know when that happened over in in South Africa, and just a bit of context for those who who maybe don't follow the cricket um, Australian cricket teams playing in South Africa, very hostile environment. Australia's on the edge of losing, uh, getting towards the end of the end of the test, uh, and they made a very rash and split decision within a few of them to cheat by tampering with the ball. And I look back at it and say, well. Why did they do it? If they sat down for half an hour at a team meeting over lunch and all thoroughly talked it through, there's hopefully no way they would do that. It was a spur of a moment decision brought on by external factors, um, time pressure, and, and wanting to win the test. But it, it's amazing how that how that's all played out. Obviously, over time, and a, and a high there's a high level of risk. Uh, for them and uncertainty. I mean, there's no certainty that tampering with the ball is going to win you the game, but there's also a huge risk in that if you get caught and we saw what happened there. You know, reflecting on your own practice, uh, you, you, I guess, had a high level of risk um, choosing to merge with the American company uh, at the time um, and un- uncertainty too because of what was happening with the Royal Commission at the time. But but you still went with that decision. So how did you, how did you rationalise that? Well, I, I think... I think for me, maybe it's been built out by um, a sequence of experience. Again, and coming back to the start, all being very diverse and very, um, very different. So, and thinking about this conversation, I, I thought of a few different events that maybe have shaped me. First one being we sort of started with nothing. So everything we'd built up until that point was beyond my dreams when we started. So fantastic and great and Bottom line, I never wanted to to sort of be broke for my family. I always wanted to provide. But that probably has been born out of, A, starting financial advice and starting financial planning at the height of the global financial crisis. So I started in a point where it was just absolute turmoil for the, for the first 12 months. Uh, and that really shaped my perception of risk from clients. They all thought they were doing, you know, something that was quite conservative. In fact, they were quite aggressive. They lost a lot of money, a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, um, emotional fallout and financial fallout. So as a result of that, I've probably been positioned to be a bit more conservative than out all out attack, knowing full well that I'll never bust anyone. The second one was uh, actually living in London during the London riots um, and being sort of at the centre of that from where our office was based. And the the fact that things can turn so quickly and and very visible and violent, um, you know, and, and the follow the crowd mentality really showed me that things can turn quite quick. 
um, and you sort of don't know when I, you know, jumped on the tube that morning to go to the office that I'd be in lockdown that night and not being able to leave. Um, so that probably, you know, really, really affected my experience on, on risk. And then the third one was actually working for a big bank and seeing how making financial decisions purely for economic gain at the expense of everything else with no sort of social or moral compass, um, how that decision played out. And, you know, not just financially, um, because you, you make those sort of decisions for short-term gain, but also personally on, a, on staff um, and, and the well-being of people and enjoyment of life and work and balance and lifestyle. So again, for me, I didn't want to get back to that point uh, because being involved and at the crux of all those things, uh, you, you just don't want to go back there because history repeats. It's just under different circumstances in my mind. That's a great history, Chris, to um, s- several different things that have that have sort of formed um, your understanding of business, but sort of more broadly your your purpose, your your feeling about your purpose. You, of course, you know we have to make money, we have to provide. It's very enjoyable to grow a business, but it's probably more enjoyable to help others, to be successful in helping others. Yeah, absolutely, mate. Oh, you've, you've hit the nail on the head there, Daniel. Um, so when we when we come back to you know, we're very firm on the core purpose of the business. You know, my core purpose and, and actually my, it's amazing listening to your children and, and my wife is actually a psychologist and, and I'm obviously the, the finance guy, but my, I think he was five or six at the time and he, and someone asked him, well, what, uh, you know, you get the, the reports back from daycare and what does daddy do? He helps people make money. What does mummy do? What mummy helps people feel better? I thought, how good's that? How, how at, at, at the simplest level, you know, that's what we do. So, you, you know, that's, that's a big part of my purpose is probably helping people. And I love helping people and improving their position. And I'm privileged to do that um, on a day-to-day level. But I'm probably also at a point now where the uh, this decision has given me more time and more headspace to 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 work on bigger issues and you know help help on a broader scale. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to a big 2021 with some with some changes. And I want I'm going to be part of a a local not for profit um, that that focuses on helping people flourish with mental illness. So I'm extremely excited about being a part of that and, and sort of giving back a little bit to the, the broader community. Um, it's the same as why I'm part of the Chamber of Commerce because I fundamentally believe in businesses being the engine of and a pivotal part of, of society. And uh, so, you know, if I can give back and, and make those businesses more successful in any indirect way, then I think that gives me a lot of uh, fulfillment. Um, and then outside of that, you know, I get so much satisfaction and fulfillment out of out of my family. You know, I'm the, I'm the boys' cricket and soccer coach. Uh, so, again, all those things are really important and um, and they they fill my cups, so to speak. And, and, again, that's all part of getting older and seeing things through a little bit of a different lens with a bit of experience maybe. Interconnectedness, community um, and um, helping others truth from the mouths of babes chris uh from your children there absolutely you got to listen to the kids yeah they're uh, they're fairly, fairly insightful <laughs> yes they tell you things that potentially you don't always want to know but they do tell it to you straight up and in a simple fashion absolutely absolutely chris black fortress financial solutions thank you for coming on the show today no worries daniel happy to help mate happy to uh, have a chat I really enjoyed it mate 
Information about our guests can always be found in the podcast show notes in your podcast app or on the course site. This has been a University of Southern Queensland podcast produced by the Office for the Advancement of Learning and Teaching.